We are here in the Peace Bus, uh, and uh, you're listening to Peace Bus Productions. And we're joined in the passenger seat by Curly from Extinction Rebellion. How are you, Curly? Hi, good thanks, Scotty. Yeah, nice, nice. So, Extinction Rebellion, I, I do tend to live with my head under a rock, and I don't know what Extinction Rebellion is, although I've seen some headlines about it. What, what, yeah. is, what is it? Well, basically, the way um, our world is heading, you know, we've, we've got um, the damaged climate, we've got damaged oceans, we've got damaged water, pollution, extinction of species, you know, the ability for life as we know it to continue is doomed unless we take action. And what people are rebelling against is being made extinct. And it took me a while to figure that out. So we are rebelling against being made extinct. We're rebelling against life as we know it being made extinct. And um, people might, may have also seen things like Rebel for Life. We're rebelling for our lives, for life to continue. Mm, that's interesting. So where did this uh, where did this crop up? Uh, it started in the UK um, by another group whose name I can't quite recall at the moment, but they were doing something similar, and um, they got going last year. Um, and it happened to, you know, the stuff that you've seen on the news happened to also coincide with the young Swede Greta Thunberg uh, and her climate strike that's really struck a chord. And um, you know, got um, school students out and about, and they're making between the two of them are actually making a huge difference. And we've seen that um, with what's happened in the UK. First of all, the school strikers um, got the attention of the politicians. They, the elected representatives in Britain, started actually taking notice of them and thought, oh, well, maybe we better listen to them. And then Extinction Rebellion, which included a lot of school strikers, I think, um, closed down parts of London, and that really grabbed attention. And so more more of the um, members of the British Parliament started taking notice, and they started talking about it in Parliament. And out of that came a motion um, which both of the major parties supported. And so um, just the day before yesterday, um, the UK became the first parliament, national parliament in the world to declare a climate and ecological emergency because that's what we're in. Wow, that's pretty uh, profound, really. I mean, I guess it's early days yet, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see if they actually take any action on it. But... Well, it's, it's a start. The first, the first thing, the first demand... Um, of Extinction Rebellion is that the government must tell the truth about the current situation. You know, in, here in Australia, we can see what's happening. We're experiencing, we can feel it. Our, our blast furnace that we had in summer, more and more severe bushfires, a longer fire season, incredible drought, um, massive storms um, and, and sea level rise and so on. And Yet our governments aren't de are denying how urgent it is. People talk to people on the street; they can see what's happening. Talk to gardeners; you know things are flowering at the wrong time. Um, birds and ants and whatever. Everything's everything's up the pup. The balance is gone, and so the government. But we know, as soon as the government declares an emergency, a bushfire emergency, a flood emergency, 
everybody just gets to work and works together. But we need that leadership to actually, somebody to actually say it is an emergency. So the government must tell the truth about how deadly our situation is. It must reverse all the policies that and, and practices that aren't in alignment with actually turning, turning around the emergency situation that we're in. And the media uh, must also communicate that with the urgency. So the, the two have to work together. Um, so we've got to have that this message about the urgency for change. In, and that also needs to include what individuals and communities can do. So one of the first, you know, there's a lot of people in our society that know what to do in an emergency. They've been trained. This is a slightly different one. It's a long emergency. Um, and will we'll require new, new action. But a lot of the stuff we need to do, people are already doing it. It's just a matter of scale. Um, and also making things easy for people to make the changes. And there are some things that only governments can do. Only governments can put in place regulation. Only governments do, do things like make our roads and public transport and, you know, run our public schools and, and, and so on and provide that leadership. So that's why it's so important that the government must tell the truth about the current situation. We are in this climate and ecological emergency um, and there shouldn't be any polit partisan politics in this. This is about our survival. We know it can be done because it has been done before. In the Second World War, we were fighting for our survival and everybody pulled together. It was a bipartisan government and people worked together. They um, coped with tremendous change. They made tremendous change. And also had, they had a, had a fantastic lot of fun working together. Mm -hmm. So over in the UK, they've been at it for a while now. Um, what sort of tactics are they using to rebel? This rebellion sort of has connotations of a revolution, really, doesn't it? Yep. And I um, guess revolution, if you listen to people like Malcolm X or Che Guevara or many of the actual real revolutionaries in the world, they were willing to pull out their gun and they would do it by any means necessary. Um, what's the sort of policy of Extinction Rebellion? There's, I guess the two main, the two main things are absolute non-violence. This is not violent at all. There's no room for violence in anything that um, Extinction Rebellion does. It's peaceful, it's creative, it's fun. And in terms of what, you know, the specific things that we do, it's about jamming the system, if you like, to get the attention, to make people stop, take notice. Because you only take notice and start changing your thinking when something stops you, where you have to, you have to pay attention. You know, if, if you're, as, as Greta Thunberg says, you know, our, our house is on fire. When your house is on fire, you just you just don't keep on going with washing up the dishes and and you know doing your homework and calling, you know sitting down in front of TV. No, the fire grabs your attention, and you do what you can to get out of it. This is what we need to do. We need to pay attention to what is actually happening, 
and take appropriate action and that's what it's about so so what you've seen in the UK where they um, closed down the major bridges in London they closed down the financial district the second biggest financial district in the world grabbing attention there's been a whole heap of stuff that they've done over there too much to mention but they're, they're the big things that um, uh, really made a difference and they occupied they closed down central London um, to traffic uh, for nearly five days Five and days, that's a good effort. That's pretty good. And mm. what happened was, um, you know, people were being arrested left, right and centre. The police had never never had anything like it. They couldn't cope. Um, and then people went back, back and joined them. But what they did was they pulled out, pulled out the, um, uh, you know, they put out the message and people came and joined them. They also, in one of the places, they had a, a lovely uh, boat, a large, you know, decent-sized boat that's painted pink. Um, to help grab attention. There was lots of music. They turned one of the bridges into a community garden, pop-up community garden. <laughs> and people were able to walk across the bridge instead of having it full of cars and trucks and buses and, and so on. Now, is this uh, state of emergency for the climate, is, is that one of the main demands of, of Extinction Rebellion? Yeah, it's it's um, so we're in a, a climate and ecological emergency. Mm, we are we are we live we only have one planet that we can live on. You know, people have been looking for a long time for other places, but the reality is we have one common home that we all live on, and humans have only survived and thrived in a pretty stable climate. We're now outside that. We are now in uncharted territory for human beings and for an awful lot of life as we know it. Yes, I think the crocodiles and a few of the other really old species would have seen different things back in the past. Maybe, maybe cockroaches and ferns <laughs> and a few others. But, but for most of life on Earth, this is new. We have never had it um, with um, our atmosphere the way it is. It's never, it's never been changed as fast as is happening. And then the same problems that are causing that are also warming our oceans and making them a lot more acid. And we know, I think it's at about 550 parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that life in the oceans collapses. And we know that because it's happened five times before and we're, we're heading there fast. We're about halfway there compared to pre-industrial. Yes, and being halfway, I guess, in an exponential way means that it's only got to double once more and you're there. Yeah, and we're you know, continuing to make it worse. So, so that's why that leads us to one of the second, our second demand is that is that the government must reduce carbon emissions by 2025. This is an emergency. We've actually got to um, have legally binding policy measures to reduce our emissions to zero and then take further action to re re uh, remove it from the atmosphere. And, it, and, we, and Australia also must cooperate internationally so that the global economy changes because you know, we're busy exporting our emissions in our coal and gas. Um, it's, it's just totally irresponsible. And it, 
you know, we hear various time frames. People have talked about 2050, 2030, 2025. That's still a way off. If we look at what happened in the Second World War, by the end of the war, things were being produced that people had no, hadn't even imagined the need for them, let alone invented them, only you know a few years before. So the whole war was only six years. It was only. <laughs> it was six years long, but there was a six massive really turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> turnaround. But it's that emergency scale that we've never seen before in peacetime. That's what we need. Mm, That's mm. what we need. Yeah, so what, what do you have in mind when you say a, declar- a state of emergency sort of thing? Because I, I know people like Donald Trump have been uh, casting about and really trying very hard to get a trigger to, to be able to call a state of emergency. And, and once you've called a state of emergency, then those who are in power have all sorts of unbelievable powers which are absolutely frightening. I know Australia's been developing ours for decades. Um, every time there's some sort of scare, they can, uh, they can redo all the terror laws and, and they can do astounding things right now. Um, you can basically be disappeared legally now under the terror laws um, mm. on suspicion and <laughs> God knows what they could do under a state of emergency. So, yeah, yeah, is there? So there's been there's been people look at this, um, and you know, an act to declare like a national state of emergency might only be half a page long, few few sentences long, saying something like, you know, the emergency is declared for as long as it takes, and the government has all powers that it needs to act. That's the scary bit. And mm. so the third demand is actually not only declaring a state of emergency and you know all that's all that's required to that, you know similar to like what like in times of war, but we don't want to hand further power to our government. We're actually demanding a citizens assembly to oversee the changes. You know, mm. and, and as we arise from the record and, and creating a democracy fit for the purpose because Part of the part of the problem that's led us to the situation that we're in is that our system of governance is not working anymore. Notionally, we are a democracy, but our elected representatives are no longer representing us and acting in the best interests of us. And so, we, you know, a citizens' assembly is needed. Thanks for coming in. My question is, you know, I might think it's good to organise and step up for climate emergency, but my fear often takes hold of me and I hold back or procrastinate or don't step up. I mean, do you have any fear and how do you deal with it if you do have any? Oh, I have fear. I have a lot of fear. I I first um, found out about global warming um, a very long time ago when I was uh, at university and to me it wasn't rocket science it was blindingly obvious we know how the earth works we have this wonderful atmosphere it's like a glass house and the um, the temperature was going up well that's pretty obvious if you keep if you're in bed and you keep throwing doonas on it gets pretty damn hot in there 
And so I thought it was pretty obvious. And then, so those of us that have been doing this for a long time, it's actually really tough. The more you know, the tougher it is because you're seeing your worst imagination actually unfolding before your eyes. And so there is a lot of grief and despair involved in this. And I think we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that our summers aren't what they used to be. In Australia, we're not going to have any winters anymore by 2050. Some people might say that's good, but it has big implications in terms of our food. You know, stone fruit and things like that. Um, and food is a really big issue in, in all of this too. Um, so what do you do in that? And then when Labor announced that they wanted to open up Northern Australia for unconventional gas and oil, first of all, I was shocked. I couldn't believe that they'd done that when they were trying to tout their climate credentials and they'd spoken about having a climate emergency. And they passed a motion at the national conference about that. So first of all, it was shock. And then it was just blind terror. And I don't think I've ever felt anything like that before. Last Wednesday, the day after that announcement, I was just in absolute terror. My stomach was churning. Um, but what I say to people is, it's like you're in a corner and you are being attacked. You can be attacked by someone with a machete or a wild animal or something, but you are being attacked. You have two choices. You can do nothing, in which case the outcome is very clear. You will die. Or you can do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. And that's the only hope you have for survival. And we know that people can do extraordinary things in emergency. People develop superhuman powers. People have lifted cars to free a trapped child underneath. People do incredible things when it's an emergency situation. And by working together in an emergency, as Australians are so good at doing, we can make, we can turn around this situation. But we have to act like it's an emergency and take an emergency level of action because it is and if we don't we know what the outcome is it'll be annihilation and how is this different from the occupy movement you could sort of say oh we've seen this sort of thing before calling for a rebellion and 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 it didn't work the occupy movement didn't work is there is this different i think it is i think it is this is about people people recognizing that this is about our survival and it's a positive thing this is we're fighting for life it's not a protest against things this is about for a habitable future for us for our children our grandchildren and and coming generations in fact for all life on earth as we know it this is about the future of life as we know it it's about civilization everything yeah, right. The climate emergency and the state of the planet is very terrifying, Jill. But what I actually meant was, how about your fear of speaking truth to power and stepping up to sort of oppose authorities 
so that we can really get noticed and get some action and get a climate emergency. How about your feelings of fear? How do you deal with them? Well, yeah, huge. I mean, I'm, I'm a firstborn girl guide, Virgo, former public servant. We obey the rules. We do what we're told. <laughs> um, and also, I'm not, by nature, I am more of a follower and a backroom person. I'm the person who sweeps the floor after everything's finished and I do the washing up. So, stepping up, organising a meeting to get Extinction Rebellion going, this is not my gig. Yes, I've had a bit of training and I've picked up some things along the way. But, the, uh, yeah, the other part of my fear was, as well as what, what Labor was saying, was, oh my God, I'm organising this meeting and I have no idea. I've never, never done anything like this before. And the terror of standing up in front of a, of organising a meeting, standing up in front of a group of people and helping get this stuff going is not as much as my terror about what's actually happening to the earth. And was the meeting as bad as you thought it would be? How... Oh, it was complete chaos. But we did we did achieve quite amazing stuff. We had a um, the venue that we thought we were going to have couldn't do, and it was all caught up with Easter trying to organise a venue. We squished in and tried to have you know group discussions. You squished in. There was quite a few people there, clearly. There were about 30 people squished into a room that already had furniture in it. <laughs> and we had people sitting on whatever that they could get on the floor. And how did you feel after the meeting was finished? Amazed. I was so energised. And since then, I have just been, I have had so much energy. I'm just incredible. I mean, I've I'm recovering from cancer treatment. I'm supposed to be being quiet, <laughs> quiet and resting and concentrating on recovery. But and I'm on medication that's stuffing up my sleep. But I am just full of energy. I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm discovering new ways of multitasking um, to help organise people. And you know, when I'm out walking, I'm you know delivering messages to people and at the same time I'm talking on my phone um, helping get us organised and and for the first time ever that I've done something people are stepping up people are stepping up they are coming out of the woodwork people are saying this stuff with Extinction Rebellion this is it's resonating with me. I want to join in. Um, and people are volunteering for stuff. Um, I put out a call. We've just been um, at the school strike. We put out a call for some someone to do some signage just so that people would know that we're there and other people could find us. We could find each other. And someone who's never done anything like that before didn't know what to do. I gave him some ideas. <laughs> he, 
he put it together, extra, extra degree of difficulty, it was going to be pouring. He stopped and made some um, waterproof signs that enabled others in the group to find it and, and people to see that Extinction Rebellion was at the strike. Well, that's encouraging because, yeah, we're going to need everyone on board to make this huge global change that, that, that's happening now. And yep. it's so great that change is coming. Yeah, I mean, we're... We're all affected, we're all in this together, so we all need to be in on the action together. It's the only way that we will survive. Human beings have only ever survived and thrived by working together. We are not solo species, we are social species. And so we need to work socially. We need to work with each other. Yeah, I'm feeling more excited about it, not so scared. Yeah, well, and the antidote, the antidote for for terror and for despair and for grief is action. Action creates hope. Right, that's the work of Joanna Macy, isn't it, in her Despair and Empowerment book she's written, mm. yeah. And, and, you know, most people will know if, if you're in a really bad state, doing something makes a huge difference to how you feel. Connecting with other people does too. If you're depressed, going out for a walk. Going out for a walk. One of the major remedies. Absolutely, absolutely. Physical action and interacting with other people. The so worst thing you can do is, is, is retreat. Now look, not everybody's gonna to wanna to come to a meeting, a planning meeting, but if people do, how would they get in touch? Is it possible? And also for people who just want to join in if they see the, emerge, the Extinction Rebellion happening on the street. Any advice for people out there that might want to join in? Yeah, the first thing I would say is go online. Uh, go to osrebellion.earth. That's A-U-S-R-E-B-E-L-L-I-O-N.earth and sign up. There are groups popping up all over the place. You know, we've just started getting going where I live, the next day, or a couple of days later, I was talking to someone else from another part of Australia who's starting up a group there. It's about people coming together. It's about you know having um, a group of people that just want to take action. And how this works is it's all in small small groups because people work together really well in small groups. It's about getting to know each other working together, there's something for everybody. It's not all just bodies on the street um, doing die-ins or blocking roads. There's all sorts of stuff. There's research, there's media stuff, there's craft and music and legal and logistics. There's, there's a job for everybody, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter what you can or think you can't do. Um, no matter where you are. How do people don't want to give their personal details? Is that, not, is that not what this is about? This is not covert, this is overt. I think it's a, a delicate balance. You can't stand up if you're hiding. You, you know, if, you're, if you're standing up there in the dark, you know, under the doona because you don't want anyone to find you. No one will see you. <laughs> no one will see you. So you have to connect somehow. Having said that, you know, there is, 
the nature of the work that we do means we have to be secure in how we do things, you know, and because we don't want the people who want to, who might want to disrupt us from telling the truth and getting you know, action to save ourselves, we don't want them mucking it up because they're the ones that have caused us to be in this situation right now. I always think when I'm, I'm thinking of that sort of thing that, you know, those, those people in South Africa who stood up against apartheid and, and throughout the world over many years there's been people in much worse situations than we are in Australia who've stood up and stuck their necks out and it worked in the end. Yeah. It might hurt a bit, but it's yeah. something that so that's, much needs doing. Yeah, so that, that's in fact, that's in fact the, the key to it. Big changes only happened when people are willing to sacrifice something. And it only takes a small number of people standing up and going out of their way, feeling that discomfort, being willing to put themselves out for that to happen. We've seen it before, we saw it with getting the vote. We saw it with women getting the vote. Um, we've seen it with um, the uh, civil rights in, in America, in South Africa, in lots of, lots of countries. The English Civil War, which established the Parliament. Yeah. I've heard it takes 3% three, three of, of the population mm. has to be on board for something to change. Mm. Somewhere between 1% and 3%, I think, out mm. there. It's not That's much, really. Another question, too. Um, <coughs> we're lucky here we can protest. Yep. You know, the police are actually there to protect and assist protesters as much as to protect property and, and everybody else. Depending on the day, yeah. Depending on the day, but, you know, it's part of their job. In this country, we are free to protest to some extent. Mm. But so many countries in the world, you're basically not, you don't get away with much, like China, for example. So what uses Extinction Rebellion when we need a global reaction and Extinction Rebellion may not be possible in many countries of the world. Well, I'm thinking that it's a bit like, you know, we, we've just talked about a small percentage of the, a small percentage of the population taking action can turn around um, society. I think the same thing can apply worldwide. It only takes a few countries to step up and it's been great seeing that leadership from the UK Parliament, the first national parliament, um, to declare a climate and ecological emergency. Um, we recognise that there are people in really difficult situations around the world. Having said that, a lot of them do stand up. Um, you know, a million, 1.5 million Yemenis on the street singing. They might be, you know, starving. What were the Yemenis singing about? Uh, the Yemenis were protesting against the, uh, I think it was the Saudi invasion. So they're, they're, they're under siege. They're under siege. So late last year they were massive. But we, we weren't hearing about that here. The, the Chinese, with their change to solar power and, and wind power and so on, and that has come about because there were massive protests in China about the quality of air. So just because we don't hear about it doesn't mean it's not happening. The, um, uh, the revolutions that took place in the Middle East, that was done mainly by, that was just organised by social media and people coming out. 
you know, okay, things might not have turned out quite the way that they want, but um, there was an awful lot of people power there. All right. Thank you so much for talking to Earth Matters and thanks, Scotty, for the interview. Thank you.